got me? I hear you. There we go. Yeah. I just I just clicked uh I, I just clicked a button to ask to unmute. Start your video too. There you are. There it is. Gotcha. Ready? Yep. Can you see us? Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Uh we've got you. We hit we're gonna record this as well, so I've got that recording. Just so you're aware. And right, uh how you doing, man? Doing good. How are you doing? Good. I appreciate you uh, having a little bit of flexibility for us on this one too. I know it was a we bounced some schedules around, but we made it work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, no problem. No problem. Uh, congratulations too on the on the you're our you're kind of our first. I think he's our first winner of this, isn't he? Mm -hmm. You you really are the first winner of it. We it's something that we're doing new. Um, I'm I I like it. I, I think it's kind of fun. We had a couple that we did uh, Zoom consult, I guess, consultation like this with uh, from the UK, and the guy's birthday was his birthday, and his girlfriend set it up with us, and we surprised him for his birthday on it. So that was really our first one, but this is the first one that. Then after that, we we're like, God, that was kind of fun, and it worked out pretty good. And I think it's um, something that people people I think will benefit from. Not just you. I hope you benefit from it, but then. Um, I think other people will benefit from watching it too. So I'm glad you, I appreciate you supporting us that way by taking part in it. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm a pretty big fan of yours. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. I really do. Uh, so I'm going to, in, in, like I said, so it's kind of new for us too. Um, what I want to do is I, I, we can talk about anything you want dog wise. Um, but I think I kind of want to have it be you, you, kind of hand it over to you to steer as far as the direction goes um probably yeah. helps with me probably helps me out to get a bit of a background on yourself and your dog um just to get a better feel for for what you have i looked at i stalked your your instagram a little bit so i did see well, how old's your dog i've got a he's gonna be five in april a black lab he's a pointing lab actually okay and then got a she's just turned to she'll be a year and a two years in september okay is that is she chocolate Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, 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 I got a feel for that. I got a feel for what is hunting style for you? What, what are you, uh, you're, you're a waterfowler for sure. Right. I, I saw quite a bit of that, but you upland too. Yep. Waterfowl and upland are the two main things. I'm actually going to start trying to shed hunt with sure. the chocolate female because she's really loves bones. Sure. Sure. Really good for bones. I'll be, I was out in a bean field shooting my bow this fall and i mean i was just standing there shooting and she'd run up to me she had a pig bone from somewhere okay sure i've been like good job and i threw it on the ground said leave it and i said go play and, i mean she brought three of them four of them just sure. going out and finding bones and bringing them back so I'm, I'm assuming that's probably a good thing yeah definitely a bone's a bone i always tell people that especially when you're shed hunting when they're young when they bring back a leg bone or something like that i i treat it like it's a 90 incher i mean i i want them connecting the idea of bring this is this is the game this is the thing that gets him excited about so yeah um yeah. where are you in iowa dubuque okay yeah so not right yeah yeah beautiful over there uh yeah. we yeah. used to do a big they have they used to have a big antler show um down by like the casino by like the river there yeah. um they had a big they had a big antler it was like an it was primarily an antler show uh, auction antler auction um and yeah. We used to go there actually and have a booth and stuff, and we did some seminars there. And 
nice. Yeah, it was really nice. They haven't done it for a few years, and they it moved a little bit. I think it moved to Makokota for a little while, and um, yep. But uh, cool, cool. So, so you're have you are you from there originally, or is that just where you live now? I moved here like two years ago. I'm originally from Webster City, Iowa, kind of north central part of the state. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you're doing concrete work there? Yep. Mm-hmm. Who Working you... for Southside Concrete. Okay. Is that uh, commercial stuff, or what do you guys do concrete wise? Yeah, commercial stuff. A lot of uh, right now we're we're actually been we've been working up in Fenimore, Wisconsin, doing an auditorium floor. Okay. Uh, finished floor. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you're doing flat a lot of flat work, or do you guys do walls and everything? Everything, yep, the whole caboot. Okay. What's your uh, now? You went to you went to University of Iowa. Yep. And what you what was your major there? Uh, environmental science. Okay. How the hell did you get into concrete? I I know a guy. I'm actually really good friends with uh, family friends with the boss and his two sons are foremen. So sure. Uh, they kind of wrote me into it. Okay. I I used to work concrete. So I used to work for uh, Myron Construction. I don't know if you know that name. Big. Uh, Big general contractor out of Wisconsin, but they do. They've got place. They've got. Um, they've got offices in Iowa, and they're they're real big in the Midwest. Um, but we we I live I, I'm I poured a lot of concrete, man. A lot of, enough to enough to have a couple of back surgeries already. So, um, well, cool. Well, I'm glad. I, again, thanks for doing this. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna. Um, you know, it's it's funny. We do workshops and stuff, and in. When people come to the workshops, one of the first things we do, we spend quite a bit of time on it. Um, I want to hear people's stories. Like I want to hear where they're from, why they're here, hear about their dog. And I always kind of joke about it, but I always say that's when the judging starts. Like that's when I start judging people. And it's not judgmental like good or bad. It's just it's starting to get a feel for their situation because I'm a believer in the dog is 50% of the equation and I think the handler is the other part. And I think they're both pretty equally important. So I I like to get backgrounds on people. I like to get a little bit of an understanding because I do think that 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 impacts and affects some of our relationship stuff with the dog. So it's not just I and I'm curious. I always like hearing people's stories. I I'm fascinated by how how we get to where we get and why we get there. But um, so let me. Why don't you start out with if you've got some stuff on your mind. Um, the big difference, one of the big differences is with you is, you know, you knew you won, so you've had a little bit of time to probably think about it. Um, so I'm going to leave it. I'm going to let you kind of point me in a direction that you want to go as far as what we're talking. Yeah, I guess I've uh, come up with a couple questions. There's a couple training questions and, uh, just some philosophy stuff. Sure. Uh, very, I kind of just wanted to pick your brain on it. Yep. Uh, I guess the first uh, training question would be what would you do for like a, do- a dog who's really hard mouth um, like bring it back to the dummy and kind of tell she's just Chomping. kind of pulling on it yeah um, she only does it like the first two or three times I think it's just because she gets so amped up she loves retrieving sure um, which but, dog is so, it your younger one yeah the younger one okay how long has it been happening um couple months just uh, since she- I took her a couple times this year hunting Yep. Um, and I don't know if it was, the, it was the birds that kind of started it yep. uh, or what happened there or if it was something that started when she was younger and now it's just kind of gotten worse and I haven't noticed it. Yeah. But you know, wonder what your, crea- your, your correction would be and how you would kind of correct yeah. a mouthy, large mouth dog. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, 
And, and a lot of times you're going to find that your question will be followed by a bunch of questions for me. That's why I wanted to know, like, when did it first start? Which dog is it? How old? Because I think, and this is something that I think can be applied towards just about everything we do training wise. I think it's one thing to assess the problem and recognize the problem. Like we can see symptoms. I think a lot of times we try to correct symptoms and I think a lot of times what we should be thinking about is why, how come the symptom is there? So that's part of why I ask those questions. And, you know, because the answer to that, you know, hard mouth, I do think is a bit of a genetic trait. Now, there's a difference between hard mouth and chomping. So mm-hmm. chomping can be, a ha- can be habitual. I think it can be something that create, cre- is created and formed as a habit. Um, a hard mouth dog, I think, is a dog that's a cruncher. I mean, like a squisher. Like it's from day one it's it's biting down hard on everything it's it's crushing everything i think that it can be genetic i do think that that's a trait that can be thrown i also think that it can be something that we can if we recognize it right away with most issues even the genetic ones i think what we can do is keep that on mute for me what i think we can do is we can certain things that are inherent traits genetically programmed into them I think we can start to to try to like counter them, good or bad. So that, that I think that's the other thing you got to think of is there's a lot of really good habits that our dogs have that are natural and inherent, and we can fuck that right up. I mean, we can make mistakes real easy by creating issues and not allow or not fixing issues as they come. So this a dog that has this wanting to chomp or I if as soon as I do recognize that I'm gonna address it, and I think. One of the things that, you know, a, a real easy formal fix for it, have you done hold conditioning with the dog? Sort of, yes. Okay. I went through, uh, when she was younger, um, went through a couple weeks of it, stopped the retrieving like you would recommend it. Yep. Uh, did really well. She, I mean, I thought she had got it um, 100%. Sure. I don't, that's, if I missed a step there, I'd watch the video. Sure. Um, I missed a step there and I need to go back and redo that? Well, it, maybe not. So if you so hold conditioning can help, I think, with a dog that chomps. I think it also can create dogs to start chomping. Like I, I get a lot of messages from people. And if you look at some of our wooden dowels, some of our wooden dowels have a lot of teeth marks on them. And it's throughout the years, I've used them a lot on, with a lot of different dogs. I've seen some people use them and they look like tooth... I mean, they're they're splintered. They're just... The dog has gotten nervous. The dog really pulses on it and chomps on it. And I think those are things that you got to correct that. Like you, you fix that. That's a great place to fix it because you're so isolated and dialed in on the situation and what you're really working on. So hold conditioning can help with that. But hold conditioning, some, I think one of the things that with hold conditioning is, is I don't think it's a, you have a, this problem, it fixes this. It's not that simple, like black and white. It's, Hold conditioning is a process that helps us. It doesn't teach dogs to retrieve. I I don't want people to think that you're training them to retrieve. That's why I hate the word trained retrieve. And I don't like the idea of force fetch, but they're the same thing, different words. But the idea of training a dog to retrieve is silly to me. Their last name is retriever. They shouldn't need to be retrained. That's in them. What we need to do is bring it out and have them do it the way we want them to. We need to customize it and shape it and get it to fit exactly what we want. And that's, for me, deliver it, pick it up, don't screw around, bring it back, 
come to my come to the front of me, hold on to it until I take it from you and I say dead, you give it to me. Like that's that's perfect. That's the way I want it. Some people would prefer him to come to the left and come in to heal. Uh, all these different reasons to make little bits, little bitty changes. Some people are happy if they get the dog, get the dog within a couple steps. You know, the bird, bird gets in a couple steps, they'll reach out and pick, pick it up off the ground if they want. I don't like that. Some people are satisfied with it. Some people think it's okay because it's close enough. I don't like it because if it's a cripple and it hits the ground and it runs off again, the chase is back on. So everyone's got their own thing. But hold conditioning is a process that can help me with a dog that blinks on something, runs out, decides not to pick it up moves on. It can help me with a dog that picks it up and runs away with it. It can help a dog that runs past me. It can victory laps. All these things, it can help. It can also help with not chomping. like that's Because that's a part of the process. And that's a one of the steps along the line from start to finish that it... So whole, you might have gone through hold conditioning and never even saw chomping. Like... Maybe that never happened. Maybe you used a wooden dowel. Maybe you didn't. I don't, you know, people always think the wooden dowel is magic. It's not. It's just because I don't want the dog to dislike something like a dummy. I don't want them to dislike something like an antler. So when you start out with this process, some dogs don't like it. And, and sometimes you really got to arm wrestle with them to even get it into their mouth. And so that negative potential situation, I don't want associated with something good. The idea of the wooden dowel is it's it's a rod for them to hold on to and get the understanding. But as soon as they're not fighting it anymore, the wooden dowel can go away. You don't really. It's not like I have to have the wooden dowel for forever. But when we when you start putting in the wooden dowel and the dog does good, doesn't chomp on it, delivers it, walks back and forth on an elevator, goes to the ground, walks, delivers, does everything how you want him to do it. And then I go to the next thing and I maybe put in a, a fire hose dummy or I put in a cold, some cold game or I put in something. I make these progressional steps with the items. You may never see the chomping, but if I, when you, the other thing that I asked you about the timing with, you know, when did it start happening? And you'd mentioned when well, we did some bird hunting and it kind of made it sound like maybe it was maybe a little bit after that. I totally think it could be because if the dog doesn't pick up warm game before hunting, which hunting is the, if that's the first chance for the dog to pick up feathers or game or warm game, those are three completely different things. Feathers in the mouth are different than cold game, frozen birds. Frozen birds are different than warm birds. They all have feathers, so I start out with wings, you know, like backing this thing up. I'm putting wings on a dummy. Then cold game. The reason I use cold game is to not in encourage chomping. It's firm. It's like putting something solid in there. It's not this squishiness. Like there's a big, we, we did some stuff with Callie today where we shot some flyers over. And there's a difference between a cold game and a fresh killed bird. There's a difference between a fresh killed bird and a bird that's kind of still flapping a little bit just i mean it's pretty dead but it's flapping its wings a little bit it's not fighting but it's moving and then there's a difference between a bird that's alive she caught one today that i had put in and i dizzied it and she caught it picked it up and its heads up it's moving around you can tell it's it's flexing it's moving it's probably trying to fight her a little bit at times and in sh that really made her hold it well or else she's going to get wings in her face. She's going to, it's going to, but those just picking up a live bird is different than a lukewarm bird. And that's a big step. And so when you start putting something in the dog's mouth, depending on their personality, some dogs will spit it out when they start feeling it move. Some dogs are a little, a little timid of that. Some dogs 
are pretty bold and go, you, you're going to push on me. I'm pushing on you. And they combat it. They chomp. They start to put pressure down. I think it's smart to not lose the bird. I think you got to put enough pressure because I see some dogs that have such soft, sweet, wonderful mouths that it's literally like almost about to fall out because they're just so delicate. They're afraid that even ruffle a feather. That's a real nice, soft mouth. If it doesn't know how to put enough pressure on to keep that warm bird or that live bird from fluttering out of its mouth, you're going to lose birds. So it has to, and that's something that I don't know that I teach that. I think the dog figures that out. I encourage it. So if that dog all of a sudden picks up something that's mushy, like a warm bird, and it feels it move, and it starts to really clamp onto it, to a degree, I'm okay with it to not lose the bird but there's a fine line between what's too much and not enough. And so seeing that in the field, first off, I don't really want to see it in the field for the first time. So back that up and how, do, how does it see it before it? Well, in some training sessions, I go from feathers to cold game to warm, fresh killed birds to maybe these borderline cripples to a lot, to let them catch a live bird. So, and you can use different birds. Pigeons don't fight nearly like a pheasant. So you can use different levels of that to kind of get them there incrementally. But now you've got it. So it doesn't really matter. How, but I do think it's important to figure out why do you have it. So if it is because of that bird, I go, okay, that's where it started. Never had the issue through hold conditioning. Never had the issue that I noticed it in retrieving with dummies. Another, another one that I think creates a lot of issues is rubber dummies. Those rubber... Um, you know, kind of hard. Avery makes one. Everybody makes one. There's a million of them out there. And they're like rubber. They're good for water. I don't mind them for water. I have a couple of them that I use in the water. Um, but they're okay for that. I think they get slippery when they're wet. And I don't like that. And the other part that I don't like about them is, is they are squishy. And they feel like a bird's body. And I see so many dogs, two bad habits that I see form hanging out the mouth like a cigar and chomping. And I see them all the time with field trial guys. And I don't know that the field trial guys, I'm not knocking on field trial guys because I just don't do it. But I see them use them all the time. They're really inexpensive. Three bucks a piece. You can buy a pail of them for 15 bucks. So they're they're just, they're cheap. But the, I think that I see it all the time. I see these dogs chomping on them or I see them slipping out of their mouths. So I get away from dummies like that and I, I encourage and I correct every retrieve that isn't perfect. Every one of them. If it's out of the center of their mouth, I bring them back, I center it and I tell them good. I just, it's this, it's this consistency thing of every time you got to pick it up right. It, and so now if you've got a dog that's out there picking up a bird and chomping it on the way back, I'd put them up on a table I'd go through hold just like you did before, but I'd use birds. And as soon as it starts to chomp, ah, 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 no, until the dog goes, ooh, I wasn't doing that right. And as soon as the dog starts to loosen up and not be chomping, like you got to firm, you're going to have to firm up enough to the point where that dog stops the behavior. As soon as it stops the behavior, good. We got to be as quick to correct we, we got to be quick to correct and, and sharp with our timing we have to be just as quick with our praise and just as sharp with our praise they have to understand what's wrong and they have to understand what's right with equal emphasis so timing is so important so i would put the dog back up and i'd go through and, and maybe don't start out with a bird because i think that probably is part of the problem start out with canvas dummy 
Start out with whatever else you're using. Get that really good. Don't, don't see any issues with chomping. Then you move to cold game and then move to warm game and then move to, you know, take a live pigeon, a shackled pigeon and get it to the point. If, if at any point throughout that progression, all of a sudden you start to see the chomping come back in, you go, there it is. That's the point that I need to start working on and don't go past it until I fix it. And so if you can get them holding on by the, because when it's right in front of you, you control the timing. When it's out there at 30 yards and they picked it up and they chomped it on all the way back to you, you can't correct them for chomping after they've run 30 yards chomping with it. And now you start saying no and they go, no to what? Not to chomping. They're going to say no to coming back to you because that's what exactly what they did when you told them no. So I'd put them up on the table. I'd work them through it and then find the point where it becomes an issue, firm up till you get change and then get soft. And I do that with everything. Like, Firm up to change behavior. Behavior changes, get softer, get softer, get softer. Behavior goes the wrong way, firm up and then start to get softer. By the time you do this enough times over and over and over and over and over, every retrieve is perfect. Like I can't settle for dogs to bring stuff back and have it be a little bit sloppy because if I'm okay with it here, as soon as it gets a little more complicated, that little sloppiness makes a problem. And so if if we correct it consistently, eventually it becomes the norm. And then I don't ever have to think about it when things get more distracting and more complicated. That's one thing I can check off the list because I don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Way longer answer than probably what you're looking for. but No, that was good. That was good. I needed that. Okay. Um, I guess another training question would be just on like a, like a T-drill, your overs. Um out in the field or like even out just training in a field, uh, as soon as you kind of get away from that fence or that barrier that they're mm-hmm. running on, yeah, dogs dog start drifting towards you. Okay. Uh, how would you go about correcting that? Just, just repetition on the fence a little bit more. On yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's so, so what I would do is if you, if you're doing something with a, with a, with a real nice background, background you know if it's a line of a fence line a tree line a separation in grass a driveway i I, i'm naming stuff that i use around my house so you got a straight edge and they're running real nice with straight edge first off i'd look at it and go is that dummy real clear to them like is it is it nice short no cover you know like short grass is it is it the road is it real easy for them to see because if they're starting to fade to you i go how come are they fading to you because they can't see the dummy? You know, is it something that they're 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 coming and they all of a sudden we they run it really nice when you got the fence, but where you got the fence, the dummies stick out like a sore thumb. So as soon as they turn, they see it, they go to it. You got to remember the purpose of the drill. The purpose of the drill is not to get them to run and hunt and find something. The idea is turn and run a straight line with a purpose in mind. Like that's brainwashing them to say, get out or get on or whatever you say means turn and go and just turn and go. That's in training to form that habit. Make it easy for them. Make the dummies stand out. So the second they turn, they go, go. That's right where I should go. If they can't see the dummy, they might be running and they just, there might be a, for all, all depends on the situation, but maybe there's an environmental change that's drawing them to something. Maybe there's a slight ditch. 
Maybe there's a tree or something at a horizon that they see and they go, there's a target. I'm going to run to the target. Until you're in their eyes looking, you don't know why they're fading. They're fading to you maybe because they're just not that confident. Maybe they're going, I got to get a little bit closer to dad. But I think by giving them a clear dummy to st stand the dummy up, you know, I, I use um, a lot of times I'll use the ones that I'm going to shoot uh, a dummy launcher dummy because it's got a flat square butt and I'll stand it up. Uh, I know some people take white tape and they'll tape white tape on the end of it and stand it up. So make it so that in training they have a target. So but the other thing that I would do. So th that's one thing to help. Then what I would do is instead of going from that fence to an open field and replicating that drill where you want them to run a 90 degree right or a left, but there's, it's a wide open field. There is no help. There's no cheating. I would go, instead of going from that fence line where, what do we do when we get them on a fence line? We back them up right to the fence line. We put the dummies out right off the fence line and it's, and they do really well with it. It's because we put the training wheels on. We made it easy. You make the dummies easy to see. You make the setup really easy. They run it. Then we go to the field. There's no more fence and maybe there's even cover. And now you can't, see, maybe you can or can't see the dummies. It all depends on how you set it up. All, any one of those things makes it more difficult. So instead of doing that, that's A to Z. You're going to get to Z. You want to get to Z. But instead of going A to Z, go A to B. So here's my, here's my fence line. Here's where I'm sending them from. Here's where we're putting a dummy. Here's where we're putting a dummy. Instead of going to the field and taking that away, leave the fence line there and then just back up a little bit further and put the dog here, here, and here for your dummies. So you've added 25 yards from the fence. Maybe, yeah. that's, maybe that's too much and the dog starts to fade. So back it up, do 10 yards. So instead of being right up along the fence, incrementally creep your way out and then get to the point where you get far enough away from the fence that the fence really isn't helping steer the dog anymore. And, is, and ask yourself, is it getting better? Is the dog taking crisper 90s or is it starting to fade? If it's starting to fade, figure out why. And then I'd go, it's, it's a combination of one of those reasons and not enough repetition. So the other thing, the other thing I, you could do without, you know, so change it up, go out into an open field, no fence, but take the lawnmower and cut, cut yourself a nice track. So now there's like, now there's no, now you're giving them a different type of training wheel is all you're yeah. doing. And it, but it's different. It's different than having that big, that big backer board behind them, the fence or the trees or whatever it is. So just mix it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess the next one is kind of more of a philosophy. Uh, Mayo is a pointing lab, and I just kind of want to know what your take was on pointing labs. And if you kind of believe in them, kind of don't. I've talked with uh, some people, big retriever trial guys here in Dubuque, mm -hmm. and they kind of stopped at the idea of a, of a pointing lab. Sure. Uh, they kind of said all labs hesitate when they find gain. That's just the hesitation you're kind of seeing. There's not a true pointing lab. Sure. But I don't know if you've seen the videos or pictures of him. Like, he blocks on like a short hair. Sure. And sure. I didn't know what kind of your take was and if you would go about training that, especially I know you're getting the setter. Yep. Um, yep. Kind of. Because I've watched uh, Standing Stone too. Yeah. And sure. they, with their training, they use a lot of collars. Um, I was wondering kind of how you would train a a pointer or a pointing lab to sure. wool without the e-call. Yeah. So, so two part question to that. Yeah. So first question on the idea of uh, 
you know, do I, I think you said at one point, do you believe in the idea of a pointing lab? If a, if the lab is pointing, I believe like I, I don't, I mean, yeah, totally. Like I, it's hard to argue with the idea of it. I, I've trained a dog named Cody. Um, we have a series called Cody go back and, uh, she, her owner owns Callie is a dog we're training right now in a series. And he was here today. He brought birds, brought, brought more birds for me for training with Callie. And he hunts with Cody and Cody points. I didn't train her to point. Cody points. Cody holds point. Um, she's not steady and staunch like a pointer, but she definitely points. He loves it because he, he gives him time. He gets into position. He, he just, he really, he really likes the style of it. So do they point for sure? Does all dogs, I listened to a podcast, Honey Dog Confidential. Have you ever listened to that one? Pretty good. Um, it's, it's, it's really good. It tells the origins and history of different breeds. Um, it's, it's put on by, I think it's called Northwoods Collective and they, they have Project Upland. So it's same, same family of, of podcasts and it's really good and it's it's really entertaining and it's um, very it's a lot, a lot of history. I'm a, I love history stuff. So it's it runs through the history of breeds and, hunt, and now they're into another season and they're talking about hunting styles and methods. But anyway, in that in that podcast, it's the first time I had ever heard this, and I I thought makes perfect sense. He, what he said, I think the guy's name is Craig Koshik. He said all dogs point to a degree, all dogs. And he said, in, in, in fact, all people will point to a degree. And he said, pointing case, a fly lands on the table and you're a hunter and you're hunting the fly as a, you know, you're going to kill the fly. So what do you do when the fly lands on the table? When the fly lands on the table, you move into a certain point before you're going to, and then you stop and then you try to swat at him. And I thought about it and I thought, I've never seen anybody not do that. Like that's what, yeah. that's what, that's what we do when we see that game, we get as close as we think we can get to it without bumping it. And then we pause, collect our thoughts, work it out in our head, whatever we're going to do. And then we go And mm. and that's, that's humans pointing. It's, it's natural instinctive stuff. Dogs do it as well. And I, I, I look at like, I call it style. I call it a dog's style. And I, I call it, I talk about the idea of reading your dog's body language all the time. And we all call it birdie. Everyone calls it dogs getting birdie. Well, in theory, if you watch that and you, and you realize there is a moment, sometimes it's very brief. But I saw it today when Callie jumped one of those birds and it ran. It startled her almost to a point which prior to it moving even when her nose when she touched scent she stopped paused and then worked towards it but that split second pause was her point she just didn't hold it and so do some dogs have a greater tendency to hold for sure no question about it i mean that in theory that's how they developed pointing dogs over the years like they took the dogs that had the tendencies to hold and be steady and point and they bred them to the other dog that held with the idea and the goal of we want to create a dog that holds and is steady to point. So that, that, and with all, and then here's where hunting dog confidential comes in really, really nicely is there's all these crosses over the years and there's all these, how we develop specific breeds. And we brought this breed and this breed that used to not even be breeds, but they were refined into some certain style or breed. And, 
there's tons of different crosses in these dogs. And, and so does some of it trickle through to the retrievers? You know, the retrievers are the retrievers, the pointers are the pointers. But is there overlap? No, no question there is for sure. So some of these dogs I do think, and I think people have recognized and realized it, and I think people have said, this is really desirable to some people. And when you find something that's desirable and unique and somewhat niche, then all of a sudden it becomes an opportunity for business. And so I think there's, I mean, there are kennels that specialize in pointy labs. So do they, do they exist? For sure. Do you, do they, are, is it all natural? I think the great majority is. I think we can enhance it if we choose to. And so it kind of leads into your next question of how would I go about it with a dog? So I don't plan on training. I am going to get a setter. I don't plan on training it to point. Like I'm not, I'm buying like what I think I've, I've researched this for a long time. I found the kennel that I wanted to get, want to get this dog from Northwoods bird dogs. And they, in what I have found for me personally, I think they're the right fit of dog. So I don't think if I did my homework right, I shouldn't be training the dog to point. It's going to point. It, what will happen is, is how will I, how well will I set it up? How well will I give it opportunity? How well will I give it a chance to bring that to the surface? And, and then it's a question of, well, then how do I harness it? Because, you know, my, my, so Tom's dog, Cody will point and hold. And he said, you know, she doesn't hold forever, but she'll hold for quite a while. And I said, if you wanted to, you could get her to hold longer. Like, because she's naturally doing it. Now what I would do is, like, we did it today with Callie. Uh, because Callie is, we've got, we've got our own little struggles with her with some of the stuff we want her to do. She does so many things very well. Um, steadiness for her is, is okay. And so we, we shot these birds. I encouraged her to get loose and, and get a little chase, get a little hunt, get a little flush. So I encouraged that for a while. But then I said, now I want to counter it before we're done with the session. And how I'm going to counter it is I'm going to create and work on her steadiness. So I took these fresh killed birds that she had just retrieved and really liked. And I pitched them all around her. And she sat there and watched. And she wanted to creep a little bit. And then before Tom left, Tom had a tennis ball. He, has, he had two of his other dogs with. And he threw the tennis ball. And she went to break on it. And I, ah, 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 and I brought her back. And I said, go ahead and throw that tennis ball. But I'm not letting her break. And he even said, he's like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I said, no, it's not that you shouldn't have done that. It's I should have been ready. And we should have made sure that we're not going to allow it to turn into a free-for-all, go chase the tennis ball. So yeah. we, I don't want to sacrifice steadiness for a gun dog. And, and you know gun dog value. I don't want dogs breaking out of blinds. I don't want dogs breaking out of out of uh, huts. I don't want dogs, I don't want dogs breaking, period. Because if not for, for safety... But also because it, it's obnoxious to the other hunters. It's not, it's not cordial to other dogs. Like it's a, it, can it can create issues with more birds that are coming. There's plenty of reasons to not have dogs break. And the, the, one of the things that used to be a really big deal when I was getting into training a long time ago and all my buddies and us, we all got our first dogs really. We were you know out of high school and we were getting our first our dog type of thing. And... It was like the biggest hurdle for us was to get dogs to be steady. And it's because none of us ever raised dogs to be steady. We raised them with the idea of we want them to hunt. 
So we were so excited about them hunting. We got so much value out of them hunting. We did not, we did not put anywhere near the focus on foundation that we needed to or should have. Steadying up a dog now to me is real easy. When I was a freshman in college, I thought if I could just get this dog to be steady, that would be like the biggest accomplishment because I'd be the only one in our group that could do it. And it would make it, it would make it a lot nicer to hunt with my dog. It's part of the reason why I wanted to do it is it, it's a circus when you, it, it, you know, you're in a blind and you're working birds and all of a sudden it's one thing to come up and start shooting and birds hit the ground and dogs go on their own. I hate that, but that's one thing. At least the dog didn't run when you're shooting. At least the dog didn't run. It was somewhat safe of a safe situation. But the problem with that is now you got two or three dogs that are doing that together and then the next group of birds that comes in, you bring the you guns up and you start shooting. And as you're shooting, the one dog goes because he goes, that one's going to go, so I'm going. And then the next time the birds come in, and as soon as you pop your blind up, the dogs go. And then the next time it's as soon as you click your safety off, the dog goes. And it just, it before you know it, like you start blowing on your calls and the dogs are going to go because all this stuff has led them up to the idea of, I got to be first. Where I prefer to have it all the chaos be done and then laugh about it, joke about it, pick on that guy for missing and then say, who wants to go pick a bird? And then you go send. Okay, I'll send for that one. You send for this one. It's just more controlled. It's more enjoyable. Everybody has more fun with it. So the idea of steadiness is really similar to a dog holding on point. There's a lot of distraction and temptation going on right now. The difference with the pointing dog is I think the rush for the pointing dog, now this isn't necessarily, maybe not necessarily the point for the, for the pointing lab, but the flushers, think about the, or the, the pointing dogs, the setters and the, the pointers and some of these dogs that are, that's what they do and they don't necessarily retrieve real strong naturally. Where's the rush for them? Like my retriever, the reward is the retrieve. Where's the rush for the pointing dog? And I really think that it's a lot like a beagle. I don't know many beagles that even care about the rabbit once it's killed. They want nothing more than to catch up to it when it's alive and running away from them. But as soon as it's dead, the fun is done. And I think about a pointing dog in a similar way of, to me, I think the rushes, and I got this from Jerry at Northwood's Bird Dogs, is he, we asked him that. And, it, and he said, I think, the, I think the, the high for the dog is when they get that cone that scent, they get close enough that they know they're not bumping, but they're so close they can feel the bird. They can, they, as they inhale that, that, that scent, that's their, that's it for them. Like that is the, they've reached it. That's their, that's their, that's the climax for them is the idea of sit there and inhale this intense cone of scent and know that that bird is right there. Feel that bird, know that bird, and then let you come in and do your thing. And, you know, some of them will retrieve, some of them won't. But so to me, that's the difference between the dog that's driven by retrieve and the dog that's driven by point. And the dog that's driven by the point, I don't know if they're in a rush to get that over with. Where if you got the retriever, I think the retriever is torn between the idea of this point is really good, but that's not as good as me picking it up and bringing it back to you. So you've got that, that maybe battle going on within them. Where, where you can get past it, I think, is the idea of control and steadiness to the idea of you can use the word whoa. I don't care what you say. You can you know pick whatever you want. Whoa is what everybody says with the pointing dogs. But easy. I use easy all the time with my dogs. Easy. 
easy. It's the same as woe. I say it in a very similar tone. I'm usually soft with it unless I have to. If And, I, and it depends on their actions. If they start to go, ah, and that's usually enough to lock them up. And they'll freeze. And they'll look at me and they'll go, sorry. And I, easy. And so as soon as I go hard, I just as quickly come back down soft. And so if I can teach a dog to be steady in a lot of distracting situations, like you want a good steady dog is a dog that you can have sitting there. Now, here's the difference between the pointing dogs and the stand. And and we just did a podcast about this because the guy was asking about, should I teach my pointing dog to sit? And I said, I think you're absolutely crazy if you think that's going to take anything away from his hunting. I don't know that you, imp- I don't know you implement it in the hunting situation, but to teach a dog to sit for obedience should not take away from a natural point. But, and I, I believe that. I'll, I don't, you're going to have a hard time convincing me otherwise. But I like my dog sitting. I think it's a nice control thing and it's from, from a retriever standpoint. I also train them at a point to stop sitting when I stop. Like I tell them, don't sit down when we stop walking because I want them to be ready in any direction. Or if I turn, I want their feet to be able to move without having to stand up and then move their feet. You've probably seen it in some of our heel work videos. I used to do it with Spry a lot, did it with uh, Bella quite a bit, but it's getting that good footwork. So the idea of getting a dog to heel by my side and when I stop, you stop. I don't necessarily have to have them sitting I do in the early part and then I don't later on. I untrain it. But I get them to just stand on all fours. A good steady dog is a dog that you can walk on heel. You could have a animal, a bird, a rabbit, or whatever in your hand. Dog's on heel. You stop. Dog stops. I set the bird or whatever it is on the ground and the bird runs away from them. And the dog stands and watches and waits for me to ask them what to do next. Should I go get it? Should I say no and walk away from it? What do you want me to do? That's just a lot of control. It's a lot of obedience. It's the idea of being steady and not being distracted by temptation. Not letting the temptation be stronger than my foundation of obedience. So you should be able to put them on the ground and roll tennis balls around them. You should be able to put them on the ground and have live birds walking around them. I watched this guy um, in the UK. He has a lot of chickens. Well, I had chickens for a long time. I don't have them right now, but we're probably going to get some more. We desensitized our dogs to the idea of even wanting to chase birds because we had chickens around when they were real little and they got to used to them to the point where they just not, they're not going to go and terrorize them. Where if someone brings a neighbor for a workshop, someone comes to the, um, with a strange dog, their dogs are want to kill my chickens and the, ch- and the chickens can sense it. The chickens know when it's my dogs, they don't even run. They know when it's someone else's dog because I think they sense it and feel it. And that dog has this built up anxiety in them and it's overflowing. And those chickens are going, I'm getting the hell out of here because he's going to come. He's going to get me if he can. So I think it's this idea of create the foundation of steadiness to the point for the retriever to the point where when the dog goes, we're able to stop them, create a habit with it. I like dogs to sit to the flush. I like dogs to flush and then sit down and wait for me to tell them what they should do. Because if it's a hen and I'm hunting in South Dakota, it's flying away and we're going to keep hunting. So I don't necessarily want them every flush chasing. I want to have that ability to have that control. It would be backing up and training and going pigeon on a string, pigeon on a cane pole in the cover. Dog comes up and I maybe, maybe even with the retriever, I might even stop them to sit to the whistle. And then I'd go over to them, pick them up, Easy, easy. Bounce that little bird out of there and let them just steady up for it. 
and practice that and practice that and practice that until finally they start to go, there's a bird. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he's going to look to me for the next move. But if you've got it naturally, you're 50% there already. Now you just got to, you got to get the control part to settle in with the wool or easy. I honestly don't, I'm not going to use a collar on the, on the setter. Um, I've got plenty of people that can't wait for me to do it and, and are ready for me to fail. I, I love the challenge. Yeah. Oh yeah. So does that help? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Greatly. Yeah. That's some good ideas. Um, I guess kind of going off that a while back in one of the podcasts, you said, uh, a six month old pointer, you'd rather take that out. Who You think that'd be more field ready than a six month old retriever. Totally. hundred percent. And I wanted, wondered if you could elaborate more on that. And kind of, are you going to hunt your setter with your labs? Yeah. So, woods or... so I think the, the idea of, and I don't know that a six month old's pointer is ready for the field or not. I, I think they can be. Um, I don't think a, a six month old retriever is ready for the field. Um, they just, they're not old enough to have seen enough. They don't, they're not old enough to have a foundation that's strong enough. There's going to be way too many potential distractions and, and things that come up that are out of my control that I just don't want to, it's not worth risking the, the opportunity for fail that could impact the next 10 to 15 years. Like the, it's a risk versus reward thing. I just don't see the reward outweighing the risk. So yeah. to me, I mean, that, that could be said, and I, I don't like age, I don't like gauging things on time or age. So that being said, that could be a year old dog. It could be a year and a half old dog. It could be a two year old dog that just isn't ready. If they don't have the stuff, I just don't think they're ready. And if they're not ready, it's not worth it. So the reason I think a, a pointing dog, and this is just from research that I've done now, kind of leading up to this setter. The reason I think you could get away with it is because I look at what we're actually doing. And when you're bringing that pointing dog out, I think one of the most important parts of developing and allowing the point to happen and come to the surface is opportunities and touches of birds. I really believe in the idea of wild birds. I, I think you can do certain things with pen birds. I think you can do certain things with pigeons. I really think wild birds are going to be really, really, really important for my, for my dog's development. So giving them the opportunity, I look at it a lot. I do look at it similar to shed, shed training. So if I take a dog shed train, if I'm training a dog to shed hunt six months old and it's a retriever and I take it out in the field, I will caution you, be careful about how far you go, how long you go, uh, the, the terrain you're in. Young dogs at six months probably aren't up to all the physical stuff. That, that we want a hunting dog to be doing just because they're just developing and I don't wanna put any extra stress on joints and, and things that don't need to, it's not worth it. Again, risk versus reward. But I would say, go ahead and take the dog, if you're going shed hunting, take him with. I don't think there's a real issue with the idea of you're screwing up the dog's training from a shed hunting perspective. I think the issue comes in is with those who have unrealistic expectations. I think if you take that dog, take them full knowing 
the chances of you having him perform like a shed dog are virtually non-existent. So don't be upset when you find the antlers and it doesn't do what you want it to do when it's a finished dog. There's where you can run into issues because you're, you get upset, you get frustrated, you get down on the dog, you start getting negative about everything you're doing with the dog. God, I'm wasting my time. And, but you, you real, if you realize you've got a second grader that you're asking to go play professional sports like you've got a person that's at that you know bitty basketball level and you think they should be playing in the final four it's not going to happen you can't the kid that kid can't even start to think about the game of basketball but you're asking it to play at a really high level now if you go into the i'm not saying don't wait to teach a kid to play basketball until they're 18 i'm saying Teach a second grader like a, you should teach a second grader. Have it be fun. Take them to open gym. Let them run around. And I don't care if they kick the balls. They're in the gym. They're in the right place. They're in the right environment. Get them in the environment to at least start to like the idea of this game. And don't get upset when it doesn't turn into the finished product. So I think you can get away with that with shed hunting. I think it's similar when it comes to a pointing dog. I don't know what you hurt by taking a pointing dog out into the woods and walking around where there's potentially birds. Are they going to bump birds? Yeah, probably. Is that good? Yeah, probably. Because how do you know how close you can get to it without getting close to it? Like, I just think the experience is valuable for that pointing dog. And I think at that age, again, you better go into it with re- now. If you go into it with a six-month-old pup and it fl- and it's bumping grouse, a real spooky bird. If it's bumping them because it's getting too close at six months old, and you start getting upset at it, and you start getting frustrated at it, you start hollering at it, you start, God forbid, you got a collar on it, and you start using a collar to start correcting the dog. Whoa! Wait a minute. That could get real bad. I think. But I think taking the dog for a walk in the woods is maybe some of the best things you can do. Now, I also think six-month-old, I don't care what breed it is, pointer or retriever, physical development is physical development in a dog. And I think you got to be careful. You're not going to go for two-hour walks with a six-month-old dog and not be potentially setting yourself to have some problems there physically. Like half-hour, 45-minute walk on a group. Like I've got spots... (laughs) I'm really hoping to get that pup this summer. I don't know if we're going to get it or not for sure because uh, there's only so many litters and, and we're I'm not real high on the list. So I'm, I'm, I'm questioning whether I'm going to get it. But if I were, my buddy is getting one out of a litter that's on the ground right now, out of the same kennel, um, but he get, he's getting a male. So he is getting one in a couple of weeks, probably like four weeks he's going to have it. And I know already, like I'll go with him, but like he bought some, he has some property up there. He's got a camp up there for grouse hunting and he's got some well-groomed trails. And I mean, it's a great setup. It's going to be a great place for us to train some dogs. We're going to, when that little dog is six months old, we'll be walking that dog on those trails because those trails are planted with clover. They're easy walking. There's birds that will feed onto them. I mean, it's, it's, it's perfect. So yeah, we're totally, and you can take like, you can you can leave his camp and go you could walk 10 different routes that are 30 minutes or less and never walk the same trails so it's like yeah i don't know why we would be a, we're, i don't know why i would have any hesitation to do that with a set with a setter or a pointing dog i just think it's a great opportunity to give it a little exercise and hopefully start to 
give the opportunity for some of that inherent stuff to come out. But the retriever, think about the duck hunts you go on. All the stuff that's going on, that's no place for, that's no place for, you don't go for a half hour duck hunt. Yeah. You know, you don't go for a duck hunt that doesn't have big 12 gauges booming. You know, like there's just way too many things there that um, until they're ready, and I don't know that it's dictated by time. I think it's a combination of where they're at mentally, physically, and all of that is connected, I think, back to their age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you were talking about the grouse woods. I've got a buddy who lives up in northern Wisconsin. I think this year we're going to go try to go up grouse hunt. Sure. Do you, you think uh, dogs who have been on pheasants and quail, is there going to be kind of a learning curve going into finding grouse and woodcock? Or you think they'll pick it up pretty quick? Just That was just off top. Uh, just kind of came to me as you were talking. Yeah, I think there will be a learning curve for sure. I think they'll pick it up for sure. Um, you know, game bird's a game bird. I think they're – the. have you grouse hunted before? No, never. This will yeah. be the first time. Oh, man. You're going to love it. So get ready because uh, where are you going to go? I don't know exactly. He has got he lives in north central Wisconsin, but he's got uh, a cabin. His dad actually guides bear hunts up way north Wisconsin. Okay. And they got a cabin up there, so that, I think that's where we're going. Yeah, I'll have to follow um, up with you if I know where you're going. But um, yeah. Because that's kind of where we are. But um, I would say so, – so here's the big differences – that I think will impact the dog. Uh, hunting's hunting. I don't think it's going to be that. Uh, range may be a little bit of a, of a change. Um, the cover is going to be so different. Like, you're... Um, how do I explain? Good grouse cover is something that is like... It, it, you can't see... You certainly can't... Like, depending on the time of the year, too, before the leaves come down... I don't know that you could see a bird if it flushed 10 yards or less from you. It's just so thick. You're not, you're just don't, you don't see them. You hear a lot of them. Um, so I love dogs that work close, uh, for lots of different reasons. I like to watch the dogs work. That's one reason why I got this setter instead of a pointer. I was going to get a pointer before, but a pointer with a, with, with the tendency and that's not all of them, but with the tendency to have a little bit bigger range, like my, my setter, I'll, I'm waiting for, pointing dog guys to call my dog a bootlicker because I hope he is. I hope she is. Because where I hunt and the, and the stuff I'm hunting, if she's not, I won't ever see her. And I'm not interested in in watching. I'm not interested in going grouse hunting and watching a handheld. Like to me, that's not what I'm there for. So I don't know that I, I'm still on the fence whether or not I'm going to put GPS on the dog. Like a bell, yeah. Uh, will I will I spend a lot more time looking for my dog? Probably. Will that take away from the number of birds I might shoot in a season? Probably. Do I care? Not at all. Like if you're if you're going up to grouse hunt with the idea of you want to feed your family, don't go grouse hunt. Like they're really hard to hit. They're really hard to find. They're really hard to hit. They're they're really hard for a dog to work. They're the king for a reason. I I can't tell you how strongly I feel about that. I just I love them. Woodcock are so woodcock are a lot of fun. Um, that w- I would go in October if I were you, so that you have woodcock there because that will help your dog. I think that'll help your dog greatly. They hold really nicely. Um, they're going to be in very similar covers, but I think that it will be the change will be not only for your dog working in really different types of cover and habitat, but also for you to hunt 
to to swing and shoot to get your bearings to keep your to keep standing up like you're you're, you're like you're to not be bleeding to have your eyes like where I don't wear them and I just I don't think I can go another season without wearing safety glasses because I literally am afraid I will probably have to eye damage because you get hit so often with sticks and twigs and I don't wear them and I hate glasses and I just I don't know that I can do it another season without them so I'm going to probably have to find some type of a pair of safety glasses that I could do it with but um and I don't wear them because I just feel kind of nerdy with them. I feel like you're that shooting guy, and I I get why they do it, but um, I need to because it's it's just really really difficult conditions. Um, but that being said, Ben and I hunted this year. We hunted a, 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 a logging road. There was a clear cut that was cut that winter, so it's like it's wide open. I mean, there was virtually no undergrowth at all. Um, in 15, 20 years, it'll be really good. But it butted up against a really good cut, so I went. We were walking it, and dogs got birdie and worked into the cut, into the cut, like the clear cut. And I was like, I wasn't even getting ready because it was what the second or third week. Yeah. And so it was still pretty early in the season. I wasn't even getting ready. I knew they're birdie, but I figured there's a rabbit or something because there's no way there's a grouse. There's no way there's a grouse in there. And it was kind of towards the afternoon. It was three thirty four in the afternoon, and. Here, a covey of grouse got up. It was a young, I mean, it was a, a brood. It was a young, it was a family of them. And five of them got up and flew across the logging trail into the timber. And like, it looked like a covey of quail. I've never seen anything like that before. I'd never seen a bird in cover like that before. It surprised me more than anything. We unloaded our gun. I shot twice. You shot three times. We knocked one bird down out of it. It was the easiest shots I've ever seen in my life. I mean, these were juvenile birds. I mean, you could have hit one with one BB and they'd have went down. We missed them all, but one. Ben got one. But it was like so like not where they should have been or not where I should have expected to see them. So you will get some opportunities that'll just surprise you that's the other part reason i love the bird is um you think you know where they should be and then there's none there and then you're walking out frustrated with yourself and all of a sudden one gets up where it totally shouldn't be and and you're not you know it's just they're awesome birds but um it'll be an adjustment for both you and the dog will they do it for sure and then i would say they'll get better obviously the more you do it because i think I just think they, that evolution is in them to evolve and, and, and start to form around what you expose them to. Dogs are real forgiving. Um, we, we, can, we can put them into such real strange positions and odd places and spots, and they just are kind of chameleons, and they, start, they just figure out ways to fit in. Um, and when you go back to that core of hunt, game-finding ability, noses, a, a, a desire to find the bird and you have good foundation. So dog wants, let's say you're on that logging road and your dog is, a, you know, used to work in really big CRP fields and you don't mind them getting out a hundred, 150 yards. Cause you know, they're going to work back. If that dog's going to do that in that cover, you're not going to see them. So do you have the ability to stop them on the whistle? Do you have the ability to recall them? Are you consistent enough to do that that first morning and not allow him to do it? You might correct him the first two times, and then you go, oh, he did it again, let him go. Well, that third time that you stopped him just wiped out the first two times that you corrected him. So are you consistent enough to stop the dog every time it gets to 30 yards 
and get the dog to start checking back in. Because he probably knows he's got a range where he gets out and checks in, he gets out and checks in. And now today, up here, that distance is just different. So it's gonna take, yeah. it's, it's work on your part, it'll be work on the dog's part, but then like I said, all of a sudden that chameleon effect takes place and they just start fitting into it. Yeah, awesome, yeah. You yeah, gotta let me know cool. when you're up there. You gotta let yeah, me know when you're yeah, up there. I think, like late October, um, I guess that's kind of when uh, my buddy said pretty sure. good. So sure, cool. yeah. Usually yeah. by us, we're we're kind of north central Wisconsin, and usually, I know my I've got buddies in the UP, and they start seeing Woodcock a week or two before me always, and they always get me all worked up about it. And I got to get up there, get up there, and they're not there, and they're not there. I mean, there's a few local birds, but not nowhere near like the flight. And when the flights do come through. I, I'm always, I'm always going to be up there like the, around say like the, within the first week of October and the 15th, somewhere in there. Cause you just know you're going to time it. You're going to get flights, but we had flights of birds as late as that was in November. I think it was when we had that big snow. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we had, I mean, there, there were some birds that were hanging out probably later than they probably even should have been. Weather obviously is going to, going to dictate some of that stuff from a migration standpoint but um i'll we'll have to stay connected on that i'll be curious to see how that goes yeah definitely um i guess i got a couple more questions here um i also you said something about field trials you didn't really want to you don't really field trials kind of wondering why yeah. kind of what your beliefs were on not field trialing compared to guys who are all big about field trials and how many titles a dog can get yeah well i think it's a game i think it's a game that you're either interested in the game or you're not. I'm not interested in that game. I I, um, I don't have anything against them. I just, I think, uh, I heard this again, and I think it's a really good, I think it's a really good, I think it's accurate. Uh, this guy, and I heard it from a guy that does a lot, of, did a lot of field trialing in his past. He doesn't do it anymore. He did it when he was younger. He traveled and did it. He was, that was, he built, he built a lot of, a line of dogs off of it. Um, but he said, he said, you know, field trials are like slot machines. You win just enough to come back. And I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's so far off because I feel like there's not very often. And I, I'm careful to talk about it because I don't go to them and I don't see them. I've talked to enough people that do. I've seen enough about them. I probably am interested in going. I got a buddy that does it that I might spend some time with just because I kind of want to understand it a little bit more and I know there's different different types of them and so I, I I'm careful to talk too much about them specifically because I don't I don't know that I don't know nearly enough about them to talk a lot about them but the, what I have seen is I'm a big hunt like I'm into hunting I like hunting dogs I like family dogs I like dogs that are a real part of our core family 365 days a year and so I have seen far too many of them that are built. Now I know, I do know a little bit about the impacts they have on genetics. Like they have a lot, just like, just like, um, British field trials have a big influence on genetics. Um, that's to me very desirable. Like I, I look to, I look for that. I, I use that as a measurement. Um, I gauge it's a barometer for the, the way the dogs perform, but, the difference is, is with them, they're hunting, like they're doing actual, they're, they're live birds, they're, they're very 
applicable to a hunting situation. Their hunts are different than ours, no question about it. They, their shoots are a lot different than what I consider our hunts, but there is, they are a lot closer in the idea of where I see the skills transfer to being applicable for me. Now, field trial, American field trials, American hunt test stuff, I've talked to lots of people across the country doing shows, doing stuff where literally they've got a huge resume for the dog with lots of ribbons and lots of titles and lots of this and lots of that. And when I ask them about hunting, they look at me like I'm nuts. What do you mean hunting? I said, well, did you have a good duck season last year? How many birds did you guys pick up? I don't hunt with this dog. What do you mean you don't hunt with this dog? No, I compete. This is a trial dog. We we it we we compete with this dog. We do field trials with this dog. We run it in all this, this, and this. And I went to me. The problem with that is, if I'm looking to buy a dog, for me, I want a dog that's going to hunt. So if I'm basing, if the genetics, if the genetic pool is being based on this measurement measuring stick of field trials and hunt tests. And those dogs aren't hunting. I'm looking at it and going, it works perfectly if I'm into field trials. It doesn't necessarily work for what I'm doing hunting. And it doesn't necessarily work for what I'm doing with my family. And so, far, and I'm not saying they're all doing that, but I, if you look at the, if you look at, I, I'd be curious, I guess, to look at all the dogs that make Master Hunter, all the dogs that make whatever the pinnacle is. The, uh, there's that, what is the, they've got the, super retriever series or something in it and so it which is a kind of a hybrid of all this stuff if you look at all the dogs that are like the top the top percentages of them if you look at pedigrees there's they have a big influence on pedigrees and so if you look at that over the last 15 to 20 years the dogs that and i and i do think it can go back that far because i think even today with ai and all that stuff there are dogs that are no longer here that are very influential in in, in breeding pools. So if you start looking at some of those dogs' names and you look at what those dogs did, not just in field trialing, but did they were they family dogs? Did they go hunting? Did they, what, what was the stuff they did when they weren't trialing? And then the percentage of puppies that they've thrown and where those puppies go. Are all those puppies going back into field trial systems or are those puppies going into Tom's house down the road or Sarah across the street because they got a lab and they hunt three weekends out of the year, but they go camping and they got a cabin that they like to go and swim at and they do all this stuff and they want that black lab for it or they want that yellow lab for it, whatever. They want that lab puppy. I think that that's where the issues can come up because um, sometimes that doesn't fit. So I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I always look at it and I go, the best dog, and people ask me all the time, where do you get the best dog? Well, that's a question of what's the best dog for you? Because what's the best dog for that guy is not the best dog for me. What the best dog for me is not the best guy, best dog for that guy more than likely. And it's not to say that you can't do it all and you can't do a little bit of it all, but I think when you start talking about like field trials in general, so that's 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 the impacts from the pool the, the genetic standpoint of it. The other thing is, I just think expectations, cultural expectations with it, to me are a little disappointing. I don't like whiny dogs. 
I don't like dogs that bark. I don't like dogs that are hard to walk in in good control. And I think the other, and I think that I'm not seeing all of them, but I think there's so many involved with that world that that's accepted and okay, allowed, I should say, that that creates a conception, this, this misconception that, oh, that's okay for dogs to behave that way. Look at these. I mean, these guys are trainers that do this on the weekend and go to these. They look at all the ribbons they want. I mean, we're a ribbon society, man. We're a medal. I hate that. I don't think you should get participation medals. <laughs> I, it's just my personal feeling. I'm not a, I don't, I don't, de, I don't debate a lot of stuff. I'm not interested in debating a lot of stuff, but I'll tell you what I think and why. And I just, I just, I'm not big on everyone getting a ribbon and I'm not big on the idea of, but I think if you're going to run a, a circuit that you need people to come and pay entry fees, it's that, it's that slot machine mentality. Yeah, yep. you, you won, you come back, you win three more of those and you'll be able to go to the next level and then you can win three more. By the way, you got to come every weekend for this, you know, like it, it becomes a very counterculture type thing and, um, and that's okay. I, I, it, it's a cult, you know. But I'm a part of cults too, man. I, I like, uh, I like guys that are into old shotguns. So we're, we're kind of a weird group too, um, you know. I like taking sauna. We're a weird group too. So it's just what weird group do you want to be a part of? To me, that's some of the, that's some of it with them. Um, I'm a little concerned sometimes with the age part of it. I think that we push dogs too fast, too hard, too early. And I think that a lot of those um, trial type setups encourage it. I mean, really young dogs doing stuff that I just look at it and I go, I don't know that we should be giving ribbons for dogs that can do that. Like I, I and but it's the it's that it's that way to get them into it. You know, it's that get them in the pipeline. I think real early. And I, you've heard me enough to say how I just don't like to rush stuff. And I think um, if it takes us. A few years to get there there's nothing wrong with that in fact I like to enjoy the few years before we get there as much as getting there and so I think when we put pressure on ourselves to be doing certain things by certain ages I think it becomes um, no, nowhere near as fun for me and I don't think it's as fun for the dog I think there's, there's something about trying to force stuff, both literally and figuratively. And I just, I look at life that way a lot more now than I used to. I look at dogs that way a lot more now than I used to. And I just think that they can be a parallel to a lot of things that we're doing um, outside of the dogs. Like, I, I think about it, um, you know, think about some of the things. Like you, you played football. You played football at Iowa. So I, I saw that. So if if all you – I have – I can't maybe, – maybe I'm totally wrong with this. But to me, that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, that's – there's a very small percentage of athletes that get to that level. And when you look back on it, if you're an athlete in your position, if you look back on that and go – the only part of that that was really like achievement was those, how many years did you play that? Four years? Yeah, four and a half. Yep. So, four, so four and a half years. If all the if all the good memories are during those four and a half years, I'd be surprised. Um, I would imagine that when you look back on it 
career-wise, from a football standpoint, I bet you got some pretty good memories in high school. I bet you yeah. got some pretty good memories it would be junior high or you know sixth, seventh, eighth grade type stuff. Yeah. I bet you got some pretty good memories of flag football stuff or you know Pop Warner type stuff that happened before before any of the TV stuff, before any of the recruiting, before any. I mean, look at the recruiting process. The recruiting process was before. I bet you the recruiting process was really nice. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having yeah. Big Ten teams calling me. Uh, you know. So if you looked at if you looked at that part of your life and you said. Those four years at Iowa, those were the those were the good times. I think you. I think it'd be real sad, and I think it'd be a little bit, um, a little, a little. You wouldn't. Ha you wouldn't have the as much. You wouldn't take away as much from it. But I bet you you'll tell stories uh, to family members. To you don't have any kids, do you? Are you? You're not married, are you? No, engaged. Engaged. So someday you might have some kids. Uh, I bet you you'll tell stories about those times as well, with just with just as strong of feelings as you did the Iowa stuff. And I think that's I look at that and I go, man, you got twenty years of of enjoyment there to get to that point. And so I look at this train the dog thing and I I go, you know, Taylor's seven, Ellie's five, Spry is three. And I look at those three dogs right now and I go, I, I'm not going to just start enjoying, like Taylor's pretty, Taylor's real good. I didn't just start liking and enjoying it when she became real good. Like I, I, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it for seven years. I've I, every phase of it and none, and it's all, it's all been a little bit different. So, um, instead of, instead of focusing on that end goal and, just realizing or recognizing the good stuff that comes when you're there. Uh, I'm big on the idea of lots of little celebrate, lots of little wins along the way and, and, and trip and stumble along the way a lot too. And not necessarily look at that as negative instead, look at it as well, I learned something from that. I mean, half the shit I've done that that's turned out good is because I screwed it up so bad to begin with. Um, if I got pissed off every time I made a mistake, I'd never be happy. <laughs> but I, I, I look at I look at the mistakes I make and I I I actually look at them and go, I think I'm gonna be better because I did that, because I won't do that again, or I'll do this a little bit differently because I did it that way and it worked out in that, you know, that it did it happened because I did this, change it. And and all of a sudden we had a Christmas party here for our, our guys. And we went through high, my, my business partner, he's, he's Des Moines or he's down in Des Moines. My, my partner lives down there, my business partner. And he, he had, he's got this thing. He talks about high, low. He wants to talk. We had a retreat thing where we went up and we fished at our cabin, all the guys from work. And at the end of the night, we had to sit around a campfire and go high, low. And I, I had never heard of it. And he said, I want to know what your high of the day was. I want to know what your low of the day was. And we went through that every night. Well, we did high, low here at our Christmas party and for the year, I said, let's let's do high low. You know, let's look at what. So we're sitting around and having a few drinks and we're talking. And different guys have different stories. Uh, football season got canceled for one of our guys. He's a senior, lost, canceled his football season. That was his low. Well, yeah. what's your high? His high was he signed a letter of intent and he's going to go play baseball. 
um, next year for a college in Minnesota. So I said, it's awesome. You know, it's a great high. It's an accomplishment. But I said, but you're low. You know, yeah, it sucks that you didn't get to play football. I mean, I feel, I felt for him. And I know he loved the game and all that. I said, but I look at it this way. Your senior year of football, you might have tore your knee up. Now you can't play baseball. You don't know. Like things happen for a reason. We don't know why all the time. But your low could be your high. And it's all depends on how you look at it. Ben's car got stolen. That was his low. Ben's car got stolen right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Lost his shotgun, lost all of his stuff. And so that was your low, right? Yep. And your high was shooting that big buck with your deer camp. He shot the biggest buck in 25 years up in this place or something pretty close to that. So he's got a real nice high. He had a, a pretty low low, lost his car. But I said, but you got everything back and you got insurance money. Now you're going to get new shit. So like your low, if you look at your low really deeper, it might be not, that could be something, that could be somebody's high. So it's about your perception how do you look at it and i i'm a i wasn't always like that and i've i've become more like that um and it makes makes things a lot more fun it makes life a lot more fun and we're not here that long we're only here for a while so i think we should enjoy it i think we should enjoy training the dogs as much as we do hunting them i think we should enjoy, i think we should enjoy them more and that's one way to do it i agree so uh, I guess one more question here, kind of. I was just kind of what your take was on feeding your dogs. Like, what do you look for in food? And also kind of when you feed, because being with the football background, uh, me and my buddies, they all hunt dogs. So before, we were always taught as like a person, before a competition, before you're going to work out, get a little something in your system. Yep. Get, you know, my, don't eat a four-course meal, obviously, but get, yep. you know, a banana, some oatmeal, right. you know, protein. Yep. or whatever so we would always feed our dogs a little bit of food before we'd go out hunting sure now i've i've listened to like a lot of uh, different podcast guys don't feed their dogs in the mornings um a couple guys i've hunted with you know say don't feed your dogs in the morning i was kind of when do you feed and what do you feed what do you kind of look for in a in a food for your dogs yeah so we feed we feed a food right now it's called american natural premium we feed the original blend it's a company that it's a com- and I fed and I don't know that they have the best food. <clears throat> I've fed, I've fed a variety of foods over the years. <clears throat> this company is they make it here in Wisconsin. It's made um, in the same facility that makes From, which is down kind of down near Germantown, somewhere down there, down by Milwaukee. Um, it's really well known. The facility is really well known for cleanliness and it's got really good standards as far as production goes. From is a real high-end food. Uh, they built, they make this with the exact same system. Like it's the same facility. So that was part of it. It also came from a, a recommendation of a friend. I tried it. Um, I put my dogs on it. I gauge a lot of success with food based on how the dogs look. And how the dogs act. I think that's that's the best way to indicate it. The visual is easy to see. Coats, skin, and hair. Like skin and skin and fur. Like it, if if you see good coats, good sleek coats, they're getting something right, you know. And so I'm not a vet, and I don't pretend to be a vet, and I don't. I, I get very careful on talking the science of the food, but I can gauge whether it works well. I've had food in the past where we switched. 
we've switched away from a food that was actually at one time way back when we had a sponsor for a food that I fed and did real well with. And then all of a sudden the food wasn't, I, I fed and I noticed something with my dogs. It wasn't good. They seemed a bit sluggish. Their coats didn't look as nice. I thought, well, it's got to be a coincidence. Well, it was right when we started feeding a new shipment of food. And I thought, well, I maybe I got a bad bag. So I switched. Same thing. Didn't go away. And so I contacted the, the rep that I worked with. And I said, something's going on here. And he said, hemmed and hawed. And he said, yeah, we, we were bought by another company. And we made some adjustments to our, to our mix, to our feed. And I said, well, change it back because I can notice it. Dogs aren't yeah. doing, dogs aren't doing as well. He said, "No, it's not something that we can control." You know, it's, it was a cost of more cost effective way of doing it. Blah, blah blah. I switched foods, and I I went from a person that was paying us and giving us food at that time. I went. I said, "I'm not doing this anymore. I don't care what. It, it doesn't matter what you give me. I'm not feeding my dog something that's not going to work real well." So we I've not taken any sponsored type stuff with that since. I just decided it's easier for me to just go buy the food that I that works well for me. So this is what we've been feeding. I don't know if it's the best food out there. It works really well with our dogs. Um, as far as feeding them prior to the hunt, I don't think you should feed them prior to the hunt. Uh, there's an old saying, Honey do hungry dog hunts best. And I don't know that that's – I think that can be used as a metaphor. It actually came from a football coach, a uh, buddy of mine that's a, a football coach, and that's what he told me was hungry dogs hunt best. So – he uh, he wants, and he was talking about his football players, but I look at the dog and I go, I'm not going to feed them prior to. Now, if, if I'm going to hunt them, now it depends on what we're hunting too. So if we're going duck hunting, I will feed my dogs in the morning because I think those calories are important for them to help stay warm. If it's cold out, they could use it. They're not real active duck hunting. Like they're sitting in quiet, they're making retrieves. Um, so I will feed, if we're going duck hunting, in, in cold conditions, I'm, I will feed the dog in the morning, but I'm not, if we're going pheasant hunting, I'm not going to feed the dog and then go hunt it right away. I wouldn't, I don't mind the idea of feeding the dog in the morning and hunting them mid morning. Like I think getting that food into their system and processing is fine. Um, gives them that food and that, I think they need energy. Um, I like, I started doing this in the last few years. There's a company, it's called E3. Um, they're a cattle ranch out of Kansas, southeast Kansas, and it's it's E3 Canine. They they make they use byproducts of their cattle ranch, and there's um, one that's called Protein Poppers. There's one that's called Trail Mix, and there's one that was called there's a third one that I liked. Um, they're they come in a bag. They're like a treat basically. I don't I'm not a treat trainer, so I don't use them as treats. Um, but I would, I always had that with me in my pouch or in my truck as we bird hunt in the fall. And so what I'll do is we don't get up super. That's another beautiful part about grouse hunting that you'll find out. You don't have to get up really early. Um, birds are on the roost. You let them get down, let them get off the roost. So we're not hunting. I like to get up, have coffee, maybe a little breakfast. You kind of take your time and get going in the morning. So I don't mind feeding them right when I get up. I don't, I'm not, not going to feed them a full bowl, but I'll feed them some. Then we'll hunt them in the morning. By mid-morning, we're hunting. And I would see, as especially in warmer conditions when these dogs are getting worn down a little bit, um, at, at every, you know, every couple hours, we're back to the truck. And I'd, I'd give them some of these, this real high-protein snack 
Um, and I felt like that gave him another energy boost. I felt like it was another, it was that, it was that, you know, power bar type thing midday. Um, and then I would feed him heavier in the evening. I always, I, I, I feed the same amount during the day. You know, I'm, I'm about three cups with my dogs and I'm usually about a cup and a half to a cup and three quarters evening and morning. And, and I'll, I'll change that a little bit in the fall. I feed them a little bit more. Um, they're over four cups in the fall, but they need that. They're burning a lot more energy. We're not burning nearly energy right now. So, but I would split it up. And so in the morning, I would feed them maybe 25% of the total amount of food that I'm feeding in the day. And in the evening, I feed 75%. Um, I like to water my food. I like to float it. I don't do it all the time. Um, I used to do it all the time, but I saw too much tartar buildup on their food, on their teeth. Uh, so we, we will go wet probably 75% of the time. I'll float the food. I feel like it gets, keeps them hydrated. Uh, my dogs don't wander the house. They don't have free reign of the house. They're on their place. They're in their kennel or they're with me 99% of the time. So to have a bowl of water out for them, they're not always getting access to that water. So I like to give them an extra drink when, when they're getting their food. Um, but I do think switching back to dry kibble every third or fourth day helps keeping the teeth clean. Mm. So, and I don't do chew, we don't do chews, we don't do toys, but uh, we E3 also has some of these bones. They're, they're, they're like a f flavored bone, I guess. And my wife will give them to our dogs about once a month, maybe, um, one at a time, and she'll let them have it on their bed, and they can have it for about an hour. And some of them don't even chew on it because they just, they're not chewers. They don't know what the hell to do with it. Um, some of them will, uh, but we let them chew on it, and that helps with the tartar too. And then, but I don't give it to them all the time. I don't give it to them to have at their, you know, at their leisure. We, we, it's a, we give it to them. We take it away. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's about all the questions I have previously written sure. down. I mean, I've got sure. to obviously fit and talk hunting and yeah. dogs all night, but yeah. I don't want to take much of your time. If you want to keep going, we can. Well, I, I got my, actually, my wife is coming home here with the kids. So I'm going to, I do it. And Ben's, Ben's getting a little nervous too, too. So we will, I think we do got to kind of wrap this one up, but, uh, I appreciate you doing this. I enjoyed it. Um, I thank you for your support, man. I, I know, um, there's a million different things out there right now, um, from a con from content perspective. And I really appreciate you and anyone else that, that puts the time into watching. I know we, we are doing our best to try to share as much as we can, um, I certainly don't pretend to have all the answers and I, I, I won't ever, you know, I, I just, as soon as you think you do, you're in trouble. So I, 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 but I, one of our goals and one of our objectives from the start has been, if we can help, we're gonna. And so, yeah. you know, don't ever hesitate to reach out. Um, you let me keep me posted on how things are going. And, and like I said, if we can help out with anything, just let us know. Yeah, definitely. Um, are you going to do this uh, in like a one-on-one -on -one eventually, like an actual training? Um, like if I were to come up and train or oh, would you do something like that? Or? It's it's tough. Um, workshops are the best way for us to do it. You know, workshops are small groups, 15 people or less. Um, mm -hmm. Typically, we fill, they get filled up at 15. We split into four groups at our workshops. So... By having three or four people in a group, 
is really nice to one handler, like to one like trainer or leader. Um, so we try to keep it, we try to keep those workshops that size. Those are really the best way we can do stuff like that. Um, one-on-one is just really hard to do from a scheduling standpoint. Um, zoom type stuff, uh, having a million people in the last year ask, can we do this? And we, it's just really hard because it takes time. You know, it's, it's, it's a challenge for us because we're doing so many other things. We've got other brands and we've got other stuff going on business wise. So it's tough, but what we, because so many people have asked for it and I've enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. This, I enjoyed it when we did Matt. Um, we're, we're going to do it. I think we're going to do it as giveaways. I don't want to charge people for it. I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather help someone and feel like we're helping other people as a one way of thanking and giving back to those who are helping us. And I just, it was a movement that lacrosse boots has inspired me to do. Like we we're not sponsored by anything, but they're friends of ours and we've done some stuff with them in the past business wise. And they are, they have a really, they sent this stuff out and they had a really good message and it was about moving forward. It was forward moving in 2021 and all the stuff that's happened in 2020 and just, there's plenty of negative stuff we that, that I look at and I go, we can hang up on that. We can get down about that or we can be positive about stuff. And I really think the best way to change stuff is to change the people around you. So like I look at it and I go, the people that are around me, how can I positively impact them? Well, this is something that a lot of people ask for. How can we do it? How can we help others? That's why we're recording it. That's why we're going to share it because this hopefully helps you some, but it hopefully helps the next guy that has the same questions and the next gal that has the exact same questions. So we go, let's share that. And so that's how, that's why the podcast, that's one of the main reasons we're doing the podcast is because it's so driven by people that we think we can help more than just one We'll help one and one's enough. Like I, if I can help one person, that's enough because one helping one person hopefully inspires them to help someone else. And so the idea with this forward moving, this giving back idea is can we help, can we give back by doing this, which I hope it inspires you to whatever it is, there's going to be something that's going to come up and you're going to go, someone's going to ask, or you're going to look at and see an opportunity to go, I can give that person a hand. Hell, he took an hour and a half out and did it for me. Why can't I do it for this person? And so I just think that the only way we get better is by making an effort. And so I was, I go, we got to do it. So this is something that I think we're going to see. You're going to see us doing a little bit more this year. Awesome. So, all right. Yeah. My wife and kids were coming in. They were sneaking in on the back. I don't know if you saw that. They went around to the front door. They're coming in. So, thanks, man. Yep, thank you. I was super stoked. This was awesome. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. Take care. Yep, you too. We'll see you.